0: good morning everybody why don't you greet your neighbor real quick just say it's so good to see you this morning you look beautiful and i'm glad to be sitting next to you hallelujah praise god so i think i think we're having you got hope you start wednesday i think we're going to have another wednesday night prayer service i think we may (laughs) yeah we plan to but we'll, we'll see about that i'll let you know further Uh, As well, I don't know if it was on there, but we had planned to back it up where we missed one But anyway, we got small groups starting up We'd ask you guys to sign up We should be able to get all that information out to you this week Concerning small groups and which one that you'll be in Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Zechariah It's somewhere on the back end of the Old Testament Toward the middle of your Bible, somewhere Amen Zechariah chapter 8 Verse 20, we've been in a sermon series uh, called The Pursuit, and we're talking about pursuing God, and this particular message, I want to talk about becoming people of His presence. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 20 through 23, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray, Before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Let's pray together. Father, we believe that according to what you've done, Lord, by your blood, you've given us access to the very presence of the living God. And so we believe that when we come to hear your word, God, it's not just to hear information, but it's to encounter your presence and your spirit and for you to transform us by it. And so, Lord God, I'm asking that you would awaken our hearts this morning, that you would come in power, that, uh, 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 that you would just open our eyes to truly see your word and what you have for us, God, because we want to become people of your presence. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us and touch us all this morning right where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we're talking about this, uh, this, this sermon series called The Pursuit, and we're talking about pursuing God and the need to pursue God. And I think one of, the, one of the issues about pursuing God that we have to understand as the church is that a church is really only as good as the disciples that it makes. You know, you can love the small groups, you can love the preaching, you can love the music, you can love the environment in a church service on Sunday, but ultimately if we are not making disciples of Jesus Christ who think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, and live like Jesus at least to some increasing degree, then the church is actually no good and it's not doing what it's called to do. And part of what becoming a disciple means is that we are following Jesus and we are becoming people of the presence the thing about Jesus is that the presence of God dwelt in him bodily in full manifestation. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, he died so that that presence could continue in his church, his body, here on earth. Now, when we talk about discipleship, about every year I kind of show you a little model that, that I designed years back and it kind of helps me. It's called No Be Do, and I've showed you this before, but I like to revisit it on occasion. And what I'm noticing is, is people have this same model in so many different ways, but here Here's the thing, when you're evaluating your life of following Jesus, you've got to understand that a lot of times we can overemphasize one of these areas. We can, First of all, we have to know about God, we have to have knowledge of God, and we study God's Word, we read books, we, we, we get in small groups, and we study things, and we, we, learn, we learn what the Bible has to say about God, and we study, and we do all of those things, and we get this knowledge in our heart. But the Hebrew vision is whatever knowledge you would get about God, you would pray that knowledge into your heart so it wouldn't just be head knowledge but it would become a part of who you are and so we're becoming somebody as well through worship through prayer and fasting through fellowship and meditation and solitude and it's not just enough to be people of prayer but if you're transformed by the knowledge that you have and it gets in your heart and you become somebody then it starts to flow out of you into the world and you begin to do things so you believe rightly you become what Jesus is and then ultimately you act upon that and you begin to do and participate in the activities that are going to change the world amen so put up this next slide too another guy put it like this uh, recently and he said in those three things you've got counter formation and that means that if you come into the church here's what you got to understand folks when you come into the church of jesus christ you are going to hear truth that runs counter to what this world is telling you every day Amen. And so it's counterformation. It is truth that sets you free from the lies of the enemy and the lies that this world is telling you so that you can live in an opposite direction. It's truth that sets you free. But then we are people that don't just, again, have truth and knowledge and can, you know, just say scriptures back that we know, but we actually become people with a tangible presence. And this is what we've been talking about in the pursuit, because it's not just knowledge and it's not just hearing a good sermon, but it's actually becoming people who live with an experience with the tangible presence of God. And I want to talk more about that, but that flows into sacrificial mission. But I want to focus in this morning, because of the sermon series that I'm in, on the tangible presence of God and how the tangible presence of God comes into our midst. But here's the thing. One guy said it like this. Now, here's the the issue, is that when we talk about the presence of God, the primary effect of sin. We talk a lot about sin in the church, but the primary effect of sin is not simply falling short of a moral standard, and it's not only rebellion against God. The primary effect of sin is you being cut off and losing access to the presence of God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, it's so interesting because that is the first thing that they lost. Leanne Payne says it like this. She said separation from the presence is quite literally what the fall is. As a result of the fall, mankind slipped from God consciousness into the hell of self and self-consciousness. Such a state is at once sinful and incomplete. The fallen self turned inward and narcissistic dwells in misconceived feelings and attitudes those that arise from listening to the self in separation and the voices of the fallen world that self is to be put off we are not to practice the presence of self we are called to practice the presence of God amen So from the beginning, what you've got to understand is that you were made to enjoy the presence of God. When God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were designed specifically to enjoy the presence of God. And in communion with God in His presence, they heard His voice. He spoke to them, and He gave them authority to govern the earth around them, to make this earth reflect heaven. Just as God dwelt in heaven and we dwelt on the earth, we were to be His regents to make the earth reflect heaven. But the problem is is that the enemy came in and he sold them a lie and when we bought into that lie that we could be our own gods we didn't have to live from the presence of God we didn't need to hear the voice of God we listened to another voice and when we heeded that voice sin and shame and accusation came in and caused us to hide from God's presence see when we sinned it wasn't God who left us and said well I can't touch you you're sinful the scripture says that we actually left God Genesis 3.8 says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And my question is, is what is it that is actually keeping you from the presence of God, especially if you're a Christian? If you are a Christian person and you are aware that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, he has nailed all of your shame to the cross, every word of condemnation and accusation that Satan could bring against you to say you are not worthy, it has been washed in his blood and he has wide open open arms saying you have full access into the presence of God what lies are we believing about ourselves and what lie is Satan telling us and this world telling us that somehow we're going to find greater pleasure in the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life than the very presence of the living God what is it that keeps us from a prayer life? What Satan wants more than anything. Yeah, yeah, he wants you looking at porn. He wants you getting drunk and getting high. He wants you doing all those things. But if you're a Christian and you don't find yourself in these fleshly lusts, the one thing that he would be pleased with is that you just never access the presence of God again. I think he's even fine with a little external religion on occasion as long as you never encounter a living God. I think he's perfectly fine with that as long as you hide from the presence of God, Jesus died on that cross, and it says in Hebrews 10 that we now have whole, we ha, we now have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He's put away our sins, and He's giving us a new and living way. In the old covenant, the old way was you couldn't come into the presence of God unless you die. The new way is you keep coming into the presence of God no matter how messed you messed up you are, and the more you come, the more you live. He says, come as you are. Turn from your sin, yes, but understand, you'll never break free from your sin and shame and condemnation unless you come into my presence. Come exactly as you are with your bondage because of the blood of Jesus into the presence of God, and that presence of God will forever transform who you are. And so he's inviting us into this presence, and here's the thing, we don't just want to have a concept about the presence of God, but we want to have an experience. How many of you just say, well, I'd like to know about the theology of the presence of God, but I don't really want to experience it? Nobody. Said nobody ever, I don't think. I don't think that's what we want, but it's often what we live with. It's often what we live with. We live with a theological doctrine or a concept about God, but we live outside of the reality of relationship with a living God. A God that speaks to us, a God that knows us, a God that we share our heart with, that that we're intimate with. Yes, Doctrine and theology is at the top. We have to understand and know God. we got to know what His Word says. But His Word is given to us to launch us into a relationship so that we know Him intimately and we become people that live within His presence. So Scripture and doctrine and theology should always launch you into a living encounter with this God who gives you sound doctrine to bring you into an experience. Amen. Amen. It's very important that we understand that because we can treat God, just like another philosophical concept where we know a lot of stuff about him, but we don't personally know him. And he's saying, I want you to know me. I want you to become a person of my presence. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, throughout the history of humanity, there have been many great discoveries. I'm not sure which one we could point to and say, man, that's the greatest discovery in the world. But for the hungry heart, there is but one discovery that satisfies the discovery of the manifest conspicuous presence of God. See, you say, well, what you are talking about, Clay? You're talking about going to church, right? You're talking about reading the Bible. You're talking about getting in a small group. Sort of, sort of I am. But the point of the matter is you can go to church, you can get in a small group, you can even read your Bible and still live outside of the reality of the living God and His presence in your life if you've not opened yourself to it. So I want to talk about what we mean by the tangible presence of God because everybody knows when we talk about the presence of God, some people who emphasize more toward the no aspect and the knowledge aspect of things, they say, well, man, what are you talking about the presence of God? God's everywhere. It's biblical. And I say amen to that. God is omnipresent. There is nowhere that you can go from His presence You will find God there. Amen. The thing about his omnipresence is is that it's biblical, it's real, it's true to God's nature. God is everywhere. He's available to all. But get this, there's no prayer required. It's universal and there's no obedience required. You can be living like the devil and God's right there. There's no prayer required. There's no obedience required. God is there holding all things together, making sure that you take another breath. Amen but there's something different there's something in scripture that is very biblical and it is the tangible manifest presence of God it's true to God's nature it's biblical but it is tangibly perceived how how many of you ever you like like been in a place you could be in your house you could even come into church sometimes we come into church and we experience it it's like I come in a little bit dull I think on Wednesday night you know I came in a little bit dull a little bit aggravated and we begin to worship the Lord and all of a sudden the presence of God begin to warm my heart and I felt God start to drop something into my soul. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that I got the the greatest dose of the presence of God ever but man sometimes just a little dose will do you some great good. Amen. And I want you to come into church and I want you to begin to experience and hunger for the tangible presence of God because it's tangibly perceived and get this, it's transformational. It's normally for God's people, it's selective and get this, it normally requires Prayer and seeking the Lord, it is highly personal, highly specific, and it normally requires obedience to enjoy it. In other words, everybody can have the omnipresence of God, but you won't perceive it all the time. You won't necessarily acknowledge that He's in the room. Matter of fact, people do this all the time. They say, Well, I ain't going to do that. It's in the church. But they'll go to their home and do things that they wouldn't do in the church. And guess what? God is in the same two places to the same degree. He's omnipresent, He's everywhere. There's no way that you can hide from Him. But I can tell you this, that when you start to worship Him at your home, the atmosphere changes and His tangible presence shows up. We can come in here drier than cracker juice, and when we come in one mind and one accord and say, we're going to give praise to a living God until He invades that space, and all of a sudden the tangible presence of God shows up. Hearts are convicted. People repent. Bodies are healed. People are set free. And people say, man, I want to live differently. God save me, God touch me, something happens. But see, Satan says, I do not want that to happen at any cost. Let's bind people with the shackles of religion and make sure they don't believe that. Make sure they stay hidden somewhere from the presence of God, whether because of their doctrine or because of their shame or because of their past sin. Make them feel so bad or so proud or so religious that they don't hunger and thirst for the presence of God. That's what his goal is. He doesn't want you to come into this because it's transformational. And I've told you before, I believe that the presence of God, the tangible presence of God can fall on one hungry heart in a room and everybody else in the room not sense a thing. Because why? There's a hungry heart. He'll leave the 99 to go after one hungry heart. Amen. Number one, I want to say this, God's tangible presence first and foremost, because this is going to be a little bit like you're going to say, well, Clay, he's getting a little bit mystical and, and charismatic this morning. I, uh, but, but let me say this, number one, God's tangible presence comes through his word. It comes through his scripture. Number one, that is the primary means of revelation of God to his people. That is his primary means. You remember like when you was a kid in school, and you had maybe had a crush on somebody, and you knew you hadn't ever talked to them yet, but you were deeply in love. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh gosh, that's going to be special. And then you talk to them, and you get to know them a little bit, and you're like, man, not as special as I thought it's going to be. <laughs> or then maybe you get to know them, and you like it. You know, you're like, oh, okay, this is good. But here's the, here's the reality. You don't really know anybody until they choose to reveal themselves to you. Yeah. You don't know anybody. And here's the thing. How can you know God if you have never cracked the book through which he has chosen to reveal himself to his people? You can't. This is the means by which he has chosen to reveal himself to his people. Yeah, there are other ways that God reveals himself. Absolutely, he's revealing himself to Muslims in dreams when they don't read Scripture. But the primary way that he's chosen is he has given us this book called the Holy Scriptures that we've compiled. And in that book, it's alive and it's active and it's doing something. And when we come to that word, he begins to reveal himself to us. And here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is what, what the Bible does flawlessly is it points you forward flawlessly to the person of jesus christ you say well i I don't know i don't know about how it says uh you know i don't know if it lines up with science here or there you know here's the thing the the bible is not meant to be a scientific treaty that's not what it is it is a theological discourse that perfectly and flawlessly points you to the person jesus christ there's history involved in it but the whole thing is a breaking down of humanity theologically and the fact that we need a savior and his name is jesus christ and he has come in the flesh died on a cross and raised again from the dead on the third day. And he went and was raised and seated at the right hand of God the Father and sent you the Holy Spirit, and salvation is available to the whole world for all who will believe. This is the, this is the whole story that Scripture is telling, and it is real, and it is God's Word, and it is authoritative. And in that sense, it, it's absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. So the Bible is God's primary means of revelation, and it's pointing perfectly to Jesus... And here's the thing, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says this, "...for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." Now, how often do you actually think about the Bible when you open it Open it being a sword that pierces even to the dividing of the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow? Now, I want to say this. A lot of Christians, we actually function out of our fleshly appetites, and we f- function from our soul, and we rarely function from our spirit. The, the soul, is we, we come with all of this unbridled emotion, All this physical feeling, we get up there. This is one of the reasons we pray and fast. Because when you pray and when you fast, what you're doing, when you fast, you are denying your first bodily impulse, which is to get up and eat. And when you say no to your body, you're saying, we're not going to let you run the show anymore. And then you start to get hangry, and your emotions come up. But yet you go to God and you say, here's my emotions, here's what I'm feeling. And God uses his word to cut away the fleshly tendencies, to cut away the emotions of your soul, and to penetrate the depths of your heart and get right down to the nitty-gritty of who you are in your spirit. And all of a sudden, the word cuts through all of these things. I don't know if you've ever been sitting there with the Bible open in your prayer closet, and all of a sudden you are laid bare and exposed before God. All the motives of your heart are revealed. I told somebody the other day, I feel like this is basically my life as a pastor. I go into the prayer closet, open the Word of God, and in about five or ten minutes when the presence of God shows up, I realize just how much of a wreck that I am. Yeah. Anybody amen me? Amen. Like, I don't know about you all, but I go to the prayer closet a lot of times, and what I'm not experiencing is, is God patting me on the back and saying, man, everything's great, you're awesome. Here's a little Devo, I hope you're encouraged this morning. That's not, I experienced the sword of the Lord cutting away what is wrong with me. Yeah. Cutting away, moving past the flesh and past the soul. And you know what? When I finally reach that breaking point and I say to myself, my God, I am a mess. You know what happens? The love of God is poured out in that moment. The mercy of God, the grace of God. And I realize it's only by His grace I stand and a supernatural power of the Spirit comes into my heart as I repent and as I give Him my soul and I say, Lord, strengthen me for another day. And you go out and He enables me even in my broken state to do what He's called me to do. See, this is is what we want out of the Word of God because it comes and it discerns and judges the thoughts and the intents and attitudes of our hearts. I told somebody the other day, I said, man, I'll be honest with you, I know the blood of of Jesus is enough, but I'm still not looking forward to Judgment Day. (laughs) I know I'm going to go to heaven, I know the blood of Jesus is enough, but I'm still not looking forward to Judgment Day because sometimes the attitudes and the intentions and the thoughts of my heart are not that great, y'all. And you know how I find that out when I let the word of God open up and expose what's going on on the inside of it. But it's a beautiful thing. And you can't run from this sword. You have to let it penetrate your heart and come in and cut away these things. And he says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He says we're all naked and open. The word there for open is exposed. It's a very specific Greek word. I was looking at this this week. It's the first time I ever saw it. This word is so specific that it actually has two primary meanings in the Greek language. And can I tell you the two primary meanings for this Greek word? It's when a wrestler takes his opponent and gets him in a chokehold like the undertaker. That literally, you can read it in the, in the dictionaries. He takes, it's a wrestler that takes his opponent by chokehold face to face. It says, I've got you, son. <laughs> like, you you about to get bombed." You know what I'm saying? Like, the, other, the other use of this word, it was used in a court of law when they would bring a criminal before the courts and they would put a dagger just under his chin right here to cause him to lift his head so he couldn't bow it and he had to face the courts. Imagine the word of God coming into your life like that. You have to face the courts. You have to, God comes to your heart not to accuse you or condemn you or to make you feel awful, but he wants transformation. He wants transformation. And so he puts that sword of the Lord just beneath your chin. And he says, you've got to face the courts today. And it's not, it's not to make you feel bad, but it's to make you recognize who you are so that you know that you are in need of this savior, Jesus Christ. And when you say, okay, Lord, I see it, and I see my brokenness, and I see my weakness, then you see the glory of the one who came to save you, and you cast all your burdens and all your weaknesses upon him. And he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, and my grace is sufficient for you, and my blood is powerful enough to wash you and set you free, and I've given you my spirit to change that part of you into my image. This is the encounter that we want to have with the Word of God. I don't just, I look, I love information. I love history. I study my brains out when I can. I want to know as much knowledge as I possibly can, but I never want so much knowledge that I don't allow the Word of God to affect my heart. Yeah, Amen. That's good. And so we come, and this is, this is the, 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 when God speaks to you, you know, pres, Presbyterians, they call it illumination. Baptists say, that really stood out to me. Non-denominational people say, that verse jumped off the page at me. Pentecostals say, God spoke to me. Charismatics say, I got a rhema word from the Lord. And others say, I got some revelation from the word this morning and I found out this week that the young people say that's bussing. Whichever one that you do, whichever one that you call it, Here's the thing, whichever one you call it, it's the same thing. You get in the Word of God and He's speaking to your heart and something comes alive and the presence of God is there to deal what is going on in your heart. So many times I've been praying the Word. Just the other night I sat down, I take passages of Scripture, I set them before me, I start to listen to worship music and I'm sitting there 30 minutes, maybe an hour before the Lord. I, got, I literally have put a chair in my closet, right? because we ain't got that big of a house. But I'm sitting there, and I'm just reading through Psalm 27 slowly. I mean, it took me an hour to read one psalm. And as I'm reading it, word by word, verse by verse, He is cutting me and laying my heart bare and causing me to rely upon Him. And you come out of there refreshed, because the Word of God is coming up, and the tangible presence of God is showing up. Do you anticipate God doing things in your life like that when you read the Bible? Do you anticipate that God's going to meet you through his word when you open the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if I could get you to do anything different when you're reading the Bible this year, it's to pause and recognize, Lord, I'm coming before something that's holy and sacred here. And I'm expecting you To speak to me through your word. I don't just want information and knowledge. I want to encounter the presence of the living God. Some of us, we live on other people's revelations. It's great to hear other people's sermons and read other people's books. I do it all the time, and it's great. But here's the thing. God doesn't want you just living on someone else's revelation. He wants to speak to you personally. You may know a lot of Charles Spurgeon. You may know a lot lot of, you know this guy or that guy j.i packer i don't know who you read but but you may know a lot of those dudes but god wants to speak something to you personally about your life amen number two god's tangible presence comes through the prophetic some people get spooked when you talk about this but here's you know and and rightfully so how many of you have ever seen some really some some prophetic stuff get like super weird and i don't want you to raise your hands because i know some of you have i have If you get in circles where people believe believe in the power of God, they believe in the Spirit of God moving, sometimes it attracts some weirdness, amen? And sometimes people think that things have to get weird in order for God to move. And here's the reality is that weirdness is optional. If you want to get weird, you can get weird, but weirdness is not necessary for God to move in power, (laughs) amen? I got one laughing, everybody else is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Clay. We've been to church for years. Nothing weird has ever happened. Y'all been to the wrong churches. (laughs) I've seen weird stuff happening here. I've seen people say things that are pretty sketchy. People try to follow the Lord and sometimes they miss it. This is why Paul even said when people give a prophetic word and they get up and they share, I think this is something that is on my heart that God is speaking. He said to not despise prophecies because people get weird. He said, but to test them and weigh all things, to discern and pray, is this from the Lord? Is this confirming what God's Word says? But we have story after story after story. We were here a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and a young man said his heart was pounding out of his chest, and he got up behind the the pulpit, and he just began to share what he felt like God was saying, and it turns out that somebody contacted his parents, uh, you know, and said, listen, when he got up to speak, we're talking about a 12-year-old boy here. When he got up to speak, he spoke directly to my heart, and I felt peace overwhelm my soul. It is awesome. Amen. But who has the boldness to actually follow the Spirit to release the manifest presence of God through a living word from heaven? Where all of a sudden somebody knows this isn't just somebody speaking. This is God speaking to me. This is God speaking to me. This is why in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He said, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The, the word for earnestly desire, it means to desire, to covet, to want, and to crave. And so he gives guidelines about how spiritual gifts should function within the church because I, I understand how sometimes they can get strange and there are abuses. I don't deny that for a minute. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25, he ta- he's talking about tongues, he's talking about prophesying in the church, but then he says this, he says, if therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? They will. You know, we, 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 I believe in the gift of tongues. I pray in tongues a lot. And I know people say, oh my gosh, Clay. Oh gosh, people are going to quit the church here's the thing, I don't care if you believe in it or not, it's something that's helpful for me, but here's what he says in the church. He says, I desire that y'all speak in tongues, but here's the thing, if y'all all all come together and every one of you is doing it at once like they were doing in the Corinthian church, unbelievers are going to come in and say, y'all out of y'all mind. (laughs) And what we need is a clear preaching of the gospel. But then he goes on and says something specific. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Consider that. Now some scholars will say that Paul is quoting right here from what Zechariah said in Zechariah 8 verse 23. And Jonathan Edwards actually said that this verse best explains what revival is like in the Bible. We read it earlier. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We've heard that God, imagine people coming in and somebody sharing something on their heart and it so penetrates a human heart that somebody falls down on their face and says, man, God, I don't know, they're weird. I don't know if if I'm down with this whole thing, but something's happening and God is here among these people. That's what we're praying for. It's not, well, they know the Bible really well. That's great. Man, their worship is amazing. That's fantastic. I love all those things. But what I want more than anything Is for people to say, man, God is among them. God is among them. This is the pursuit. This is the pursuit. Everybody's pursuing methodology in our age. Everybody's pursuing how do we grow a church. Everybody's pursuing how do we do this and how do we make this the best and how do we function at this capacity. And what I want to say is how do we get to a place where people come in and say God is really among them. God is really among them. That's what this whole thing is all about. This is where we want to be. This is where we want to go. And he says when the prophetic is working properly in the church, and here's the thing, we're, we're infants in this type of thing. We've not yet even scratched the surface on how God can move, move in these ways. But when Paul, he says when it's working properly in the church, this is what takes place. You know, and part of the reason I even talk about this is because when I, when I became a Christian, this is, this is what happened to me. I, I, you, maybe some of you have heard this story, but when I, when I was first becoming a Christian, I was opening myself up to Christianity. I was wrestling with the Bible, and I was dealing with alcohol and drugs. And somebody told me, you need to go to this church service. And at this time, I was not going to church at all. I was 20 years old. You need to go to this church service. They told me this. They said, this guy is a prophet. I, I kind of giggled. And I was like, That's okay, I, yeah, all right. And you know what I did? I'm about to confess some sin to you all. I got high that day, smoked me a joint. I know, I know some of y'all are going to send me an email on that one. I wasn't saved yet. I wasn't pastoring I was 20 years old. And so I went into the church house, sat in the back, mildly inebriated. And I was sitting in the back of the church. And the guy's preaching there. They have the songs, and the guy's preaching. And I'm sitting in the back. I'm not yet giving my life to the Lord. I'm checking it out because I'm interested. Amen. The guy's up there preaching, and while he's preaching, he's just talking about something. I don't even remember what he's preaching about. And he stops, and he kind of looks in my direction toward the back. And the church was deeper than this church, maybe double in depth. And I'm sitting at the back, and he looks in my direction. He said, there's somebody in here. He said, in your bedroom, you got books laid out all over the floor. And the Lord says that you're looking for truth. You're searching for truth. And he says, keep searching because you're you're, you're about to find me. And when he said that, I was like, oh, gosh, that's because literally if you'd have walked in my bedroom at that time, there were books laying all around the floor. Man, I was reading New Age. I was reading Richard Dawkins. And I was reading the Bible. I was mixing it all up. And I said, man, that's weird. And I put it off. I said, that couldn't have been God. That was fake. (laughs) Tons of people with books laying around their bed in here. (laughs) Tons of people searching for truth. I said, forget that. I'm going back home. Hit the bottle. And I sat there, and I thought, maybe I'll linger a little bit here after service. And I lingered after service. People in there, they didn't even really know me that well. I lingered in there after service. I'm just sitting in the back just watching people, you know what I'm saying, kind of with a little bit of a proud look, just like, people ain't real. <laughs> Anybody ever come? Hopefully there's so somebody here this morning like that. <laughs> people ain't real. Guy walks to the back. He's walking by. He stops, turns to me. He says, stand up here, son. I stood up, and then I started freaking out, and I felt the manifest presence of God come on me. It was such a strange feeling. It scared me to death. I almost started crying, but I didn't. I held it together. He shook my hand, and he said, son, did you hear me talking about you up there? Uh, I shook my <laughs> head. He said, God is about to do some miraculous things in your life. He says, you keep seeking him. You're going to find him. I went home that night. I went home that night, and, and, and I'm praying, man, and I'm moved by God. Prophetic secrets of my heart have been disclosed. That scripture became a reality. I said, "Man, God's among these people. What can I do?" And 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 I, and I opened the Bible. And I'm reading in Proverbs, and it says, "The beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." And I'm sitting there reading that. And as I read it, God is my witness. I said, "I'm crying." I said, "God, I do not fear you. Teach me to fear you." And when I said that out of my mouth, a lightning bolt struck outside of my bedroom window. It was probably raining. Maybe a storm was coming. But the coincidence seems a little strange. <laughs> It it was one of the ones that shook the house, you know. And I began to weep even harder. And I had a revelation in that moment. You know what I did? I took all of the books that were not biblically related and I tossed them. I said, "This is where I'm going to stick." And I begin to read the Word of God and study the Word of God and open my heart to the Word of God. And I could tell, I could tell you story after story after story of the prophetic, a word that came forth from somebody. And you know what? I, I've been privileged to to follow the Lord and try to try to try to just sense what His Spirit is saying, and, all, and on occasion get it right, man. And somebody, know, man, this is God speaking to me. Just because, just because I wake up in the morning, or sometimes when I'm praying, I say, Lord, who do you want to speak to? Who do you want me to pray for? And you get a little little nudge from the Lord, and you go with it, and there's something that happens. Alex is telling a story about here on Wednesday nights, because on Wednesday nights, we try, try to create an atmosphere where people can hear from the Lord, and people can share what's on their heart, and uh, you know, one Wednesday night last year on January, I was praying, and I said, Lord, who do you want to speak to tonight? And the, and, and the name Abby came so strongly to my mind, I thought, well, there's a couple of Abbeys at church. This should be easy. Maybe I can call them out and pray for them, that's what happened in my mind, you know. Maybe there's just, there's just going to be one there to die. So at the end of the service, my heart's pounding, and I still sense that thing about Abby, right? So I go with it, and I say, you know, if there's anybody named Abby in here, come forward. You know who came? Four people came forward. There were four Abbeys. Am I, am, I going, how, am I going to give a word to four people? But when I began to speak to each one of them, God began to give me something for each one of them. And one of them was a girl that it was her first time here, and this was a story that she told. She was Eliza's friend. And man, I talked to her about the ministry that she was going to get involved with. She thought I was a nut. She thought it wasn't real. And honestly, after I got done, I thought I was a nut. <laughs> I was like, God, oh, I missed that one. Lord, forgive me. False prophet, dude. Like, what, what's going on here? And she, she left and and we find out a year later she had she had left school or whatever and Alex came into contact with her and she told her man when you all prayed for me you know god has moved in my life i'm in this ministry now like things have changed <laughs> so god moved. but but the, my point is this I, I i'm not anything special you can hear from the lord i'm not a prophet i'm not anything special god ha, he said desire that you may prophesy and he said that to the entire church yeah. he didn't say it to special people or people that are super spiritual No, it's just people who are open and hungry enough. And most people come to church, they expect singing, they expect uh, Bible teaching, they expect greeting. But here's the thing, do we really expect God to show up? We expect all the things, but do we really expect God to show up? And the reason, biblically, there is a command. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because God may give you a word for a specific person at a specific time, and when you speak it, it unlocks something in their heart, and they say, man, I know God's speaking to me. It may happen up there at the grocery store. It may just happen when, you know, the other day I was taking a shower and the Lord dropped something on my mind and said, give this person $200. I, so I resisted it for a minute, then I went and gave them $200. And the word that he dropped in my heart was, this is from their Heavenly Father. I felt weird, so I didn't say that to them. I gave them the $200. But then their mom called me and said, hey, uh, that was awesome. I, and I said, well, it, I felt like it, the Lord wanted me to give it to him and say it's from His Heavenly Father. It turned out that she was praying just that morning about that boy's father. And it spoke directly to her heart. Just a little nudge in the shower, y'all. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm really not trying to elevate myself here because I am nothing. What I'm saying is this is available to all of us and we need to be sensitive because we can release the tangible presence of God into people's life where they're aware, man, God's among them. Yeah. God's moving. Number three, God's tangible presence comes through the promptings of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, we we, we read this passage, and we think to ourselves that, Basically what he's saying is, you know, this is about people who look at porn and like to get drunk and hate people. And there's some moving in that direction of the flesh and there's other people that are moving in the other direction. And it is, it's about the flesh is that impulse within your nature that chooses selfish things and chooses carnal things and there's a war going on in your soul. But even beyond that, walking in the Spirit is not just about avoiding sinning. Thank God for the Spirit that it helps me to avoid sinning. Would you say amen to that? How many of you get a temptation in your mind? You're tempted to go the way of the flesh. The Holy Spirit checks you and says, Don't do that, my man. You're with me. He said, Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I appreciate you being here. You know I'd have went the other way. You know I would have. And He helps you move the other way. But it's not just about avoiding sinning, but it's responding to what God is doing in the world around us and being sensitive to His promptings as He leads us. I was getting a haircut the other day, and I don't like talking to people in, in public. I'm very introverted, but every now and then the Holy Spirit will p- prompt me. And, you know, and I was sitting there getting a haircut, and I just felt so prompted. My heart was pounding my I started to feel hot and clammy, and I knew, man, I got to talk to this person, sadly. <laughs> Y'all ever feel that way about the promptings of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> i got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And, And I went and I had a conversation with this person about the Lord because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 32, 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He will instruct you and He will teach you the way that you should go. He'll show you. See, this is a little more subjective, and you're like, well, Clay, you can't find that in the Bible to know when to go, but it's it's a very biblical concept. Jesus went to see the woman at the well, and if you had just went by the disciples' theology, he should not be going to Samaria. If you just went based on theology, they should not go to Samaria, but there was a prompting of the Spirit that said, he must go through Samaria, and he must talk to this woman. And when he talked to that woman, it broke open evangelism in Samaria. And the church was born in Samaria because of that. You remember in the book of Acts, Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. It says legitimately, Acts 8:29. The Spirit said to Philip, "Go over and join his chariot." Spirit shows up. He's walking. Spirit says, "Go over and join his chariot." And he goes over and he follows the leading of what the Spirit said to his heart. Ananias and Saul. Saul's killing all these church members. He has a conversion. The Lord shows up to Ananias and says, Hey, Saul's about to come to you. I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And I'd have said, Lord, how converted is this man? He'd been killing everybody. You're going to send him in, but there was a prompting of the Spirit. Otherwise, all he would have known was that Saul was a murderer of the church. He needed a prompting from the Spirit to go about this and do this. Throughout the book of Acts, you see these promptings of the Spirit. And my question is, do these things still happen today? I think they still happen today. I think they still happen today. I read this week, I've been reading about different revivals here lately, but Charles Finney led revivals in the 1840s and 50s. And he was preaching in what were called burned-out districts. I want you to listen to this. They called them burned-out districts because they preached to these people so much that everybody in the town had either gotten saved or rejected the gospel. One of the two. Like they forced everybody into a conversion situation. (laughs) Like you're either going to get saved or you're going to reject the gospel. And everybody in the town, they're like, well, we we preached to everybody in the town. Let's go to the next one. I mean, that right there is evangelism, boys. And they'd send their man in to pray before, and Charles Finney is is leading revivals. Thousands of people are getting saved, and one man comes to him and says, man, I want you to come to my town. And so he goes pretty much immediately at this guy's request, and he goes in, and they gather the people in the town square there, and he starts to preach. And at this particular time, Charles Finney didn't prepare a sermon. That's interesting, isn't it? He's just going going by the Spirit, y'all. He didn't prepare a sermon. So he gets up, and the Lord gives him a scripture, impresses on his heart the scripture about righteous Lot being grieved by the sinful, wicked behavior of Sodom. So he starts preaching that verse. He said, Righteous Lot was grieved by the sinful behavior of Sodom, and he's going off, and he could tell as he's preaching this, the people are getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Some people are hollering at him, and he's wild, man, so he just keeps preaching harder and laying in on them, son, and getting after it. And while he's preaching, suddenly everybody in the room broke. People started weeping. People started flooding the altars, and and, and most of the people in the room got saved that night. And the guy that invited him came, and he said, How did you know? He said, what do you mean, how do I know what? And he said, my name is Lot. I'm the only Christian here, and our town is called Sodom. Did y'all not get what I just said right there? Like, that was the verse that God gave him in a prompting of the Spirit, and they knew exactly what it was. My point is, you say, well, that's crazy. I don't know if I believe that. Let me tell you something. I've seen some things. There about ain't nothing I don't believe anymore. God moves among those who will pursue. God moves among those who are hungry enough to believe for it. I don't think that it's an issue of God can't do that. I think it's can, He can't find people who want Him to do that. It's not that He can't do it, it's that He cannot find people who want Him to. Maybe they're religious and they've categorized that type of movement out of their theology. Maybe they, just, maybe they just don't believe it. Maybe they just think it's too far-fetched. Maybe they just think God doesn't do that. And I'm telling you, God wants to save people, and I'm trying to figure out how he's going to do it the way we are currently doing things. Amen. Amen. The way we are currently doing things, we've got to get a hunger for the Lord. I was listening to, this This is, this is real crazy. I thought I would throw out some crazy stories. Have y'all got time this morning? Oh. I thought I'd throw some crazy stories out just because I like to stir faith. Sometimes I need a crazy story to break up my religious mind and make me believe God for great things once again. I was watching some services. I sent Alan, Alan uh, uh, one of it there, but I was watching some services from what, the Pensacola revival that was back in like 1995, and it lasted about five years. A lot of people got saved. As with every move of God, there were pretty, a lot of criticisms and stuff like that. And man, just a move of God. Matter of fact, I was watching one of the videos, and in the middle of one of the videos, one of our overseers, Dale Yurton, stands up on the, on the stage and starts preaching. And, uh, and, and and I thought, wow, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know he was down there during all that. But but he was down there during all that. But here, let me tell you a crazy story, and you're gonna say, well, that's dumb, Clay. It's stupid. It's goofy. I don't really care. I mean, y'all'll be fine. This guy testifies with this other guy during the revival, and here's what, here's what happened. This guy that was going to the revival, for he came from out of town, and he was going for a week, so he's driving from his hotel back to, uh, back to the revival each day, and Monday as he's driving to the revival, he passes by a mall, and he has a deep inner prompting that says, hey, go in there and stand on your head by the Coke machine. And he said, that's ridiculous, so he didn't do it, amen. Next day, he comes back through Tuesday. He has an impression, go in there and stand on your head by the Coke machine. And he puts it off. He says, that is foolishness. Wednesday, it gets stronger. Thursday, it gets stronger. And by Friday, it's so strong that he can't take it anymore. And he says, I don't even know how to stand on my head. But he said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. He said, I think God's just testing me. He goes into the mall and he finds the first Coke machine and he stands up on his head. And all of a sudden, as he stands up on his head, the security guard runs over to him, and he's like, oh, gosh, I'm getting arrested right here. And the security guard runs over to him and says, why did you just do that? And the guy was like, man, <laughs> you, this is going to be hard to explain. I'm a Christian, and I, I believe the Holy Spirit leads me, and I just felt like he told me to come in here and stand on my head by this Coke machine. The guy broke down and began to cry. He said, I told God on Monday... If somebody didn't come in here and stay, if he was real, then he better put somebody on their head right there standing, or I was gonna take my life on Friday. And he said, You came in here and that guy told him. Now that's what they both that's what they both said. Were they lying? They may have been. (laughs) But here's the thing. Can God still do these things? I think, he can, I think he still can. I think he can lead you to a person if you're open. And these things happen in the Bible. Uh, they happen throughout church history. You can find numbers of ex- examples. There's a dude named Craig Keener who wrote two volumes called Miracles This Big. He's a brilliant man. God still moves, has been moving throughout church history. So, why doesn't, ha- why doesn't it happen to me? I want to give you a few questions to ask. Here, put these questions up for me, if you would. Number one Have you desired and asked God to speak to you like that? Because the Bible says that you have to desire spiritual gifts. Number two, have you created a life of silence and devotion where you cherish the voice of God above all other voices? Where you push back the voice of other things in your life and you say, God, I want to hear from you. If God wanted to speak to you like that, would you be available to hear him? And number four, do you have a willingness to obey if you were prompted like that? Amen. Here's my last point. Number four, God's tangible presence comes through seeking God in prayer. I think a lot of people go to God in prayer like a therapist. They come and they just talk and they process their emotions. They pour it out. And once they've poured out all their feelings, then they leave feeling a little bit better. And I, 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 I'm good with therapy and I'm good with pouring your heart out to God. I think you should do it. But here's what you've got to understand. When you're in prayer, God talks back. It's not just you pouring out your soul. God speaks to you through his word. He gives you impressions. He leads you about people to pray for, maybe people to reach out to. In Acts 13, here's what it says. It says there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, notice this, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit says things. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. And sent them off. Now we don't know what the Holy Spirit sounded like. It says that there were prophets there. So perhaps a guy gave a prophetic word, perhaps there was a tongue and interpretation, or perhaps they're just praying and they all receive an impression where they know by the Spirit that they're supposed to separate Paul and Barnabas. But somehow something happens where they universally know as the leaders of the church, the Holy Spirit has said this. We've prayed, we've fasted, we've worshiped the Lord, and we've heard from Him. And my whole point in this is saying when we seek the Lord in prayer, and when we seek the Lord in fasting, we should expect that the Holy Spirit is going to encounter us and say something to us and give us direction. Psalm twenty seven four, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and get this, to inquire in his temple. That means that when I'm worshiping God, I'm inquiring of the Lord. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? Who is it that, I, that you'll give me a word to somebody for? And what kind of faith steps can I take in order to see you move in somebody's life? When we pray, we should seek the Lord in that way. Amen. 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 I can tell you more stories. It's getting late. So many times, man, I've went to the Lord. I cannot tell you the number of times. Andre and I, even before I married, the number of times that God has given me such specific direction when I've sought Him through prayer and fasting. Or even just general prayer. There have been times I've been desperate and I've, I've laid before God and said, God, I need, I need an answer here. And He's given me specific direction. And I can tell you that sometimes He's done it in ways. I remember I was in Oneida and... and, and And I was about to go pastor another church, and I really didn't want to go do it at first. And I was resisting in my heart as to what to do. And I went to bed that night, and I said, God, you you need to show me. I mean, is it a green light on this, or is it a red light? Like, give me some kind of a sign. And a girl that that I went to seminary school with that I hadn't spoken to in two years, she sent me a message the very next morning. As soon as I woke up, it was in the middle of the night. She said, I had a dream last night, Clay. You were standing in front of a red light, and all of a sudden it turned green, and God said, go. Now, you've got to test those things. We don't just take any, any whim. When somebody gives you a prophetic word, when you have a dream and it's very mystical, you shouldn't just follow it just because you got that. You need to go to the word. You need to go to prayer. You need to discern. But here's the thing. God still speaks. God still moves. God still gives direction. Will you inquire of God? Will you take it to the Lord in prayer and be discerning and not get weird about it, but test it with the saints and see what God is actually speaking? We're called to be people of His presence. And Richard Roberts said this, he said, The sobering truth is that the greatest hindrance to the growth of Christianity in today's world is the absence of the manifest presence of God from the church. Charles Spurgeon For those of you who say, I don't believe in this, I believe in doctrine. There ain't nobody better than Charles Spurgeon, boys. Oh God, send us the Holy Spirit. Give us both the breath of spiritual life and the fire of unconquerable zeal. You are our God. Answer us by fire, we pray to you. Answer us both by wind and fire, and then we will see you to be God indeed. The kingdom comes not, and the work is flagging. Oh, that you would send the wind and the fire, and you will do this when we are all of one accord, all believing, all expecting, all prepared by prayer. Do you realize that God is moving the ways that I've talked about all throughout the world right now except in the West? And it's because we've started to worship science rather than God. We have rationalized God out of our midst. We have believed in the material world above the spiritual when God says, I want the kingdom of heaven to come on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we worship? Do we worship God or do we worship rationalism? Do we worship the Western church's mindset that has rationalized God as just some kind of a theoretical doctrine that never shows up and moves among people? No, when God shows up, you know it. And we need to experience that. Here's the thing. Jesus, in his ministry, the amount of people that he cast demons out of in the synagogue was staggering. And I think the point being is that demons love as much as wickedness A religious stronghold type of spirit behind a person. They love to hang out in a church that doesn't want God to show up. Amen. Amen. Demons love to hang out in a church and among a people that doesn't want God to show up. And I would even venture to say this, that if you feel some resistance in your spirit because of the things that I'm saying this morning, it could be that there is a religious spirit that is binding you from trying to hear the truth of God wanting to move in your life. If you can't budge toward God or surrender or bow your knee to the Lord because of something that's shackling you, you've got to ask yourself, what is that? Because it is certainly not the Spirit of God. Yeah. It's certainly not the Spirit of God that, that, that's hindering you from wanting to reach out and share the gospel with people like God. God wants to move in your life. In any environment, there's going to be a mixture of God, the flesh, and the devil, period. Any church service, God's there, the devil's there, and the flesh is there you got to discern what's God and weed out the rest. You can't say, I don't want the things of the Spirit because some people get weird sometimes. You can't say, I don't want the things of the Spirit because some people have abused it sometimes. You can't say, I don't want the things of the Spirit because some people have manifested demons and done weird stuff sometimes. You can't do that or else you elevate the work of the devil above the work of the Spirit. The devil is always going to try to confuse us and and make us go astray and make people do weird stuff. But at the end of the day, we still need the Spirit of God to conquer these things in our lives. And there's got to be a hunger where we say, God, you know what? Even if it does look a little bit weird, I want you to move in my life. I want you to move in my heart. I'm not content with standing by and living a nominal Christian life and not experiencing your power. I want to see you move. I want to see people saved. I don't want the same people at church every week and nobody ever getting saved, nobody ever getting healed, nobody ever getting touched, nobody ever coming to a place of repentance. We need your Spirit, God, to move. And it's for everybody. Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. The beauty of the new covenant is that everybody gets the Spirit. It's a gift. The Bible says if you, being earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children and you're evil, how much more will God, the Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I believe that every believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit, but I also believe that there is, according to the Bible, one baptism in the Spirit and many in feelings. That's what you see in the book of Acts. I believe it's biblical. Why do you say that's biblical? Well, because in Ephesians 5, it says, He said it to Christian people who already had the down payment of the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, He said, Be continually being filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Don't stop. Be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again god wants us to be filled with the spirit so number one i want you to think about this i want you to stand your feet actually that way you don't transition into the yawn session to the wrong time go ahead and yawn if you need to take that stretch number one if you want to receive the spirit of god in a greater way and this is this is just we're just going to ask God for it. We have to submit ourselves to God because God wants total, total dominion. I want you to close your eyes. You can put the lights down so everybody feels comfortable or whatever you want to do. But take a moment. You open your hands to the Lord. You give God total dominion. Submit yourselves to him. Say, say to him, God, I give you everything. I give you total dominion of my life. Secondly, we confess and we renounce any and all sin. See, this is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, is. it should be no wonder why he wants to indwell a clean vessel. So he just asks us, he's the one that cleans us up, but he asks us to partner with him. He cannot actively clean us while we are actively defiling ourselves. So that's why he asks us to repent. So we confess and say, Lord, this is where I've sinned. This is what I've done. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me in your blood. I confess this sin and I renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ. And you receive the full forgiveness. Jesus Christ forgives you for your sin when you confess it. And ask God to take back from the enemy any ground that you've given over. Lord God, I've come into agreement with with the enemy in this area in my life. And right now I renounce that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm asking you to take back that ground that I've given over to the enemy in my life, Lord God. Whatever it is that I've watched, whatever it is that I've looked at it, whatever it is that I've said, whatever it is that I've participated in, God, I want free from that. I want to break free from that because I want to give space for the Holy Spirit. Take back the ground of the enemy. Break every stronghold in my life, Lord God, and set me free so that I can be open for the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to just simply receive by faith. You can lift your hands, you can open your hands, but you can ask your Heavenly Father who desires to give you the Holy Spirit and say, God, I want to be filled. Would you fill me right now with your Holy Spirit? Just lift your hands. Lift your hands to heaven. Say, God, I want a fresh and filling. You don't have to be afraid. He's a father who gives good gifts to his children. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you, whatever it is that you want to do, would you do it in us? Holy Spirit, come. It requires no weirdness. It just requires a humble and an obedient heart to say, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit. Just wait upon the Lord right there. Just wait upon the Lord. Just continue to ask him. Just continue to ask Him. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. He wants to see desperate hearts. He wants to see hearts that are thirsty for Him. I want you all to begin to sing. And I want you to continue to seek the Lord right there because I believe God's going to move. I believe that God's going to fall on hungry hearts. I believe He's going to stir something in our midst. I want you to continue to worship and pray and ask Him right there. And here's the thing. if If you need a touch from God, I want you to come forward I want to pray for you this morning. If you need healing in your body, I want you to come forward in faith believing that God will touch you and heal you. And I'm going to open this altar and we're going to worship just for a moment, but we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord and ask Him to move in our hearts. So I want you to respond this morning. Take a moment to respond. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep responding to the Lord. Don't stop. Just worship Him. Come to this altar if you need prayer. You need to seek the Lord. You need to kneel at your seat. If God drops something in your heart, you need to pray for someone. God drops an impression. Don't be afraid. Follow the impression. Pray for who you need to. Thank you, Lord Jesus.